Hey there. Welcome back to the Uncomfortable is Okay podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. And I also want to say hola to all the recent listeners to the show from Argentina. It's great to have you guys tuning in. Today is episode 48, and I'm chatting with Rebecca Stewart, the general manager and co-founder of Pomegranate Kitchen. Pomegranate Kitchen is a Wellington-based social enterprise and registered charity. They provide group catering and individual lunch delivery to Wellingtonians. Their food's fresh, it's fun, it's interesting, and healthy. But probably the thing that I find most fascinating is that it's influenced by a variety of different cultures. And the reason for this is that all the cooks come from a refugee background. So today, Rebecca and I discuss how the concept for Pomegranate came about, how the journey so far has been, and as always, we get stuck into some of the challenging, uncomfortable bits. We talk about breast cancer, social enterprise, the challenge of everyone being the boss, how Rebecca felt she had to use her privilege and expertise to assist the community, and the concept of never knowing if it's the right idea or not. It's a very honest chat today, some of which Rebecca told me she hadn't talked about before, so I was pretty honoured to be able to share that with her. Thanks for taking the time to listen. Thanks for sharing the episode out, for leaving a comment or review on your favourite podcast app, and thanks for getting uncomfortable with me and Rebecca today. So we're recording there. G'day, Rebecca. Welcome to the Uncomfortable is OK podcast. It's nice to sit down with you on a maybe the last summery afternoon that we're going to have in Wellington. Sure, thanks for having me. Oh, it is a, it's a pleasure and thank you for inviting me around as well. It's a, it's a lovely setting. Uh, hopefully people can hear the cicadas in the background. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. Cool. So... Rebecca, we're here to have a chat predominantly about uh, Pomegranate Kitchen and what's going on with that. But before we get into that, I'm interested to know uh, a little bit about Rebecca and how how we got here having a chat today. Do you want to maybe give us a bit of background about sort of where you're from, uh, if there's been any sort of monumental life events that have happened to, to guide you on this path? Sure. Uh, well, I grew up in Wellington, uh, so pretty uneventful upbringing. I moved to, what did I do? I went overseas when I was about 21 and ended up working on super yachts. So I worked on a, a yacht that was um, owned by the co-founder of Microsoft, Paul Allen. Uh, mm-hmm. So I worked there for a year. Um, then I came back, moved to Melbourne for five years. I ended up working on an international um, aid placement in Fiji in 2014 to 2015. Uh, and it was there that I discovered a lump in my breast 
and was diagnosed with breast cancer at age of 13, actually two days after my 30th birthday. So that's what's brought me back to Wellington. <laughs> but, you know, I went through treatment and so forth, and everything's okay now. Um, and after treatment, I was working at the New Zealand Red Cross, um, and that's kind of where the idea for Pomegranate was born. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a really short version of me. <laughs> that is a very short version with uh, yeah a couple of sort of yeah monumental monumental things. Um, going going back to to finding the the lump. How did you how did you feel when you found that? Um, I, when I found it, I didn't think that it was going to be anything but it, it was one of those things where it was like oh yeah I should get it checked out but um, I actually put it off for a little bit as well which now just feels extremely foolhardy but I you know I was so young and mm. I just didn't think that it would happen to me I was young and also so this, the stats kind of back it up that it's less likely but also I think I felt quite invincible um, so yeah I just kind of thought but you know when I was diagnosed which was in PG with the only was in Suva, I was the only radiologist who works in the whole of Fiji. Uh, yeah, the walls just closed in, really. I mean, no one should actually have news like that. You know, it was just awful. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know what to say. I was just in shock. Luckily, I had a friend with me who was a very practical lab technician type who was also there on placement who uh, asked all the right questions. And then I packed up my, my whole life in Fiji in a day and a half and flew back. Yeah. Wow. That's kind of I can imagine that sort of just caused a massive sort of almost kind of mental shift for you as well did it it, did you find that it changed your perspective at all going through that experience or because when I was sick I there's so many transformation stories with cancer Mm -hmm. if you survive that I almost felt this other pressure to you know to have this big revelation afterwards. It's like this extra pressure to become this different person or have all this learning from it. And you know, when you're when you're in it and you're sick and going through treatment, that's you know, you feel really weak as a person. I felt really sort of um uh like I've been bowled over. So yeah, it's funny um that I've kind of played into the stereotype of doing something quite monumental so afterwards. So probably it did, but be honest, like I've, I've worked for not for profits um, pretty much my whole career, uh, and I've often done things that are quite kind of bold. So it, it was like a natural progression for me mm. as well. So I, I try to avoid. I mean, this is actually the first time I've talked to anyone about it in conjunction with pomegranate because I don't really want the two things to seem like yeah. part of the same story. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it sounds like it was on a you were on this kind of path already, and this is just something that has happened. That I mean, it's really difficult to say. Hey, if Mm. if it's altered the course Mm. of what would have happened anyway, because there's certainly not wasn't a conscious thing. Like, oh, I you know life's too short. I've got to do something big. Yeah, yeah. But that potentially was in the back of my head. You know, and, and making that bold move inside my own business and charity. I've never done any of those things before. Mm, yeah. mm. Well, do you want to? Should we get on to talking about pomegranate? And so, 
Can you kind of give us a bit of a, an outline on, on what pomegranate is and also kind of all, tell us a little bit about why you decided to start it? Sure. So I was looking, as I said, for the New Zealand Red Cross and what I was saying was that there were a number of people coming in who wanted to find work but were not able to because of their language barriers, um, lack of local experience and employers being unwilling to take them on. Um, around the same time, I was speaking to my future business partner, who's also my stepmom, um, around, you know, the serum crisis and what we can do to help, and she's a real foodie, and so she found this uh, organisation in New York called Eat Off Beat that um, do quite similar thing to what we do now, and she sort of sent it to me, and I said, well, she said, I've email, and I was like, well, if you ever want to do something like this, you know where to find me, you know, and she said, actually, I kind of do want to do something like this. So we talked about it back and forth for a while, about what it would look like and whether it was appropriate for Wellington and whether it was appropriate for former refugees as well. Um, so I kind of took, looked at it from a lot of different angles. Um, I sounded it out with some of the stuff from Red Cross, including some stuff from refugee background. Uh, and yeah, there probably was a point, say, about June 2016, where we kind of had that conversation, like, are we going to do this or not? We've been talking about it. Uh, and now we're going to kind of take the leap, and we decided that we would. So I quit my job. I went travelling for a little bit. This was right after I come out of So I finished my treatment finally in May. Um, so there was a little bit of a kind of um, end of treatment around the world, FBKA type thing. <laughs> yeah. And then I came back and um, I was working on pomegranate while I was away as so. And then, uh, yeah, started, you know, planning and looking for funding and setting up all the structures that we needed to do. And then we launched in October. So it was a pretty quick turnaround from, you know, committing to it. We talked about it a couple of months before. And then from committing to it to launch was probably three or four months. So, yeah, it was a bit of a whirlwind. We, uh, the reason for that is we actually booked in to be a pop-up at more Wilsons. Um, you know, in October, we thought that, we, you know, that seemed a really long way away, and then mm. suddenly it was in a month. So, you know, potentially if we hadn't got to get in, the, the more Wilson's pop up for those listeners that don't know is that kind of um, outside one of our more upmarket supermarkets, they have a uh, little sort of a couple of small um, food stalls that are occupied by different Wellington restaurants every week. Um, so it was great for us in terms of our promotion. But yeah, looking back, if we hadn't booked that in, we probably would have taken a little bit more time and been a little yeah. bit less scrambling when we started. But in some ways, it's quite good to just start sometimes, you know, yeah. because you don't actually you can plan what you want, but you don't know what you don't know until you start. So we could have potentially put it off for much longer, um, but had quite similar results. So, yeah. yeah, cool. Um, I want to jump into that a little bit more, but... So what's the, I mean, what is the the concept behind Pomegranate oh, sorry, Kitchen? Yeah, yeah. That's all right. Um, so we employ former refugees um, who are often home cooks to um, be part of our catering company to make food for individual lunch deliveries and um, group catering around Wellington. Yeah, so our food is predominantly Middle Eastern at the moment. 
because I cook predominantly Middle Eastern. So we've got things like falafel, um, hummus, wraps, um, uh, spiced chicken rice. We have a sort of frittata-like thing called a kukusazi, which is like a spinach and herb frittata, uh, walnuts and cranberries. Yeah. So really, really nice food, all kind of freshly prepared because we're so small. Uh, it's all kind of made from scratch, usually that day. So um, we kind of have that edge on the larger catering companies and um, it will put their food in the chiller for a couple of days. Is that, yeah, that it is really just made that morning by yeah. someone who's a home cook. So, yeah. Nice. It sounds, sounds delicious. Um, so why, why was it important to you as a person to, to start this up? It's a really good question um, because for me it's always just been um, like a given that you should try and help people who need it. So it's quite funny when I'm trying to, not that I'm like this perfect person or anything, but it, it just seems really straightforward to me. So I sometimes have to take a step back when I'm making presentations for a non-social justice audience <laughs> about what the problem is and why it's our responsibility. Um, why was it important to me? I guess because I felt like it was a space that I could use my privilege and my expertise um, to build something that would end up not just, you know, assisting people who needed jobs, but also, I mean, our, our values right from the start have been about working with the community, not to them or for them. So we are trying to get people from refugee background at every level of the organisation. So we're actively recruiting a board member from refugee background at the moment. And also um, my ideal would be in the next couple of years to scale someone up to be in a general manager position and then I can step back out of it. Um, so I guess it's the chance to... It was the chance to put that um, those capacity building and representational ideals um, into practice and something that I could fully control. Yeah, and kind of like, uh, yeah, design, design a not-for-profit or a social enterprise exactly how that sits in line with the values that I think that all not-for-profit should be. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, no. Also, because it's just this... this women, you know, like they were really keen to work and, it, yeah. and they often, you know, some of our cooks have cooked from five to seven hundred person weddings, you know, like they're, they're really good at scaling up and they're really great at cooking and it just yeah. seemed so sad to see them going, like either not finding work and going into work, cleaning work and so forth, where they had this skill, this untapped skill that was being, um, yeah, underutilised. So. Yeah. I just kind of really wanted to help. Yeah. yeah. How do you how do you find the women that work with you? Uh, so in the first instance, we went through the Pathways to Employment team at Red Cross. So they have a special team that tries to place people into work. Um, but since then, actually, we've just had a number of people approach us, either themselves or, you know, New Zealand friends of theirs um, will approach us and say, hey, I know this person and um, they're really great at this and that. We have had someone recently who's a um, trained chef and has um, food safety handling and so forth, but most of the people that were hired, I mean, they all have food safety, but most of them aren't professional cooks. Um, and in fact, we didn't test their cooking before we you know, started working with them. It's more of a personality thing and 
um, we have to get a balance of language in the kitchen as well. So some people that are, um, have stronger English can support other ones that don't. So we couldn't have people all people that didn't have strong English. Um, but we've got a pretty good balance at the moment. Mm. Awesome, awesome. Um, if we go back to go back to the start, actually, and, and talk about the scramble a little bit. So, what what sort of challenges did you face initially when you were setting things up? Well, I think for me, I didn't realise how. I think I was much more focused on the building of the business and the building of the not for profit, and not thinking about the logistics of the kitchen. I thought that that either would be something that the cooks would figure out or that would work itself out. Um, mm-hmm. So that actually took up a lot of my time in the beginning. Uh, things like, you know, getting order lists going and run sheets for every day and thinking about what's in the freezer and um, delivery and so forth. Um, yeah, that that was really a massive challenge. But, I mean, I have quite a logical brain, so it was something that was actually quite interesting and fun for me. But looking back, I wish that we had been quite specific to our friends who are chefs or caterers about exactly what we needed their help with. Um, But again, we didn't know what we didn't know. Uh, And so, because we have a food advisor, but he sits at at more of a high level effect on our board. But in fact, what we really needed is someone to come in the kitchen and sort of do all all the logistical stuff in the kitchen. do you, do you find that you have a better appreciation for what needs to go on in the kitchen now because you've been through that challenge? In terms of the maths, I never thought I knew, I mean, I've worked in restaurants before. I know how hard chefs work and particularly how, um, you know, how head chefs have to have a lot of kind of oversight and control and they're often quite particular. Uh, but we are constantly just trying to maths in our head about how many kgs makes this many falafel balls and you know like how it, if we're making 36 of this so um yeah so i mean that's that's been a real learning curve um yeah cool no sorry i jumped in there and i uh <laughs> i cut you off mid mid flow <laughs> unfortunately we've we may have lost that story um so the, apart from the kind of the logistical side of things around around the kitchen, what other challenges did you face in that in that scramble? Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to talk about. Um, we, the other thing is that all of our cooks, I mean, we, we've had a week-long training session before we started at Melissa's, but all of our cooks are the bosses in their own kitchen. Mm. So there was a little bit of stuff around, uh, you know, hierarchies around... Um, I guess another challenging thing is that if we could have started the kitchen and said this is exactly how we're going to do it, you're going to chop onions like this, and then we can go into creating, you know, being creative with menu items and you can bring in your kind of way of doing things. But we kind of started by saying, you know, everything that you bring to the table is valuable, uh, which it is, it's their intellectual property and it's their kind of their way of making the food that makes it so delicious. So everything was changing all the time. All the menus, all the menu items, it's like, oh, maybe it's better like this, maybe it's better like that, which is quite difficult when you've got, you know, like 
seven different things that you're making and it's under a lot of time pressure, mm. but also it's kind of maybe how you want it to be, but also kind of isn't. Um, so, but I don't know how we could have done it differently because I really do believe that the way that they do things is best. We probably could have done a lot more venue uh, design instead of the proper kind of kitchen training, which in fact people learn on the job anyway, knife skills and so forth. We probably could have done a lot more of the kitchen, I mean, the venue item workshopping that we do now. Um, so yeah, it, it was a little bit of a scramble in that as well. So it's like, which way do we do it? Whose way is the best? Who's the boss? We're all the boss. <laughs> so, there's a little bit of it. Um, and also, I mean, some of the women that we work with haven't been in paid work before, which in the home, um, but they, when they cook for functions, for example, like it just gets finished when it gets finished, you know? So it's quite a different situation to put them into, you know, into a workplace, even to show up on time, not call and on your phone, or not chat to anyone, and get something ready by 10 30, you know? Like it's, it's a whole different kind of mindset. Um, so there was a little bit of kind of challenges around that as well. Yeah. Yeah. How have you how have you got through those challenges? Um, actually, that brings me to one of the things I was thinking about about what makes me uncomfortable is um, being boss and you know confrontation because I think New Zealanders don't really like being confrontational um, and the added element that I'm younger than all of the cooks, so especially in more traditional societies, you know, it's like. Uh, if you're old and you are, you know, you're the one in charge and you get the wisdom. Mm. Um, so there were moments that I felt quite frustrated with the way it was going but felt unable to kind of um, direct or to, you know, say what was making me um, uncomfortable or upset. But I think we've come to a point now where I hope that I'm managing them in the way that I like to be managed and the way that I like my bosses to be, which is being really clear about um, clear about your expectations, uh, but also flexible and forgiving if something doesn't go right, and the appreciation that the staff are adults as well and they want what's best for the business as well. So the way that I kind of manage them now is to talk about what works for the business as a whole and giving them valid reasons as to why we would do something a certain way. Whether it's because it pays us money or because um, we have to do it for health and safety reasons, otherwise we'll lose. Or, you know, or we can't do that because it might make some people sick and then So, yeah, and that has seemed to work really well. Yeah, it seemed to kind of circumvent that thing around, you know, because I don't want to be this person that's yelling because... Mm. That's not my style. That's not New Zealander style, really. Also, yeah. I've been through enough. You know, like, I've had pretty shocking lives. So I don't really want to be adding to their discomfort. But equally, we have a business to run. Um, so, yeah. So kind of just meeting them, meeting them uh, in, not, I guess, not halfway, but uh, respecting that they would understand the start to finish aspect yeah. of how to do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you've kind of already answered this, but I mean, the, the cultural dynamic must be interesting at times. Having having people from so many different cultures all in a relatively confined space, um, and having you trying to kind of manage that as a team coming from a, a 
completely different culture as well. Um, that must have been reasonably reasonably challenging. Um, what kind of things have you learnt from that process about about yourself, or about maybe say New Zealand culture? Mm. Um, I've done a bit of work in different cultures already. Mm. So I've worked in India twice, and I've also worked in Fiji. So I think I, I hope that I came to it with a little <clears throat> bit of understanding. Um, I mean, as I said, you know, the, the stuff about being a confrontational New Zealander, that, that definitely came to the fore. Um, one of my cooks was telling me, giving me some advice about how to run the business better, and I really took that quite hard. This was right at the beginning where I didn't feel like I was doing very well, mm. and then to hear that from someone, you know, really it kind of, I guess it made me feel quite small. But then someone else told me that, in her culture, that's often a way that you would, that's more helpful, you know, and actually I think that, I don't know if that's not a New Zealand thing, because I think my mum would agree that giving advice is helpful, she loves yeah. giving advice, but uh, because in New Zealand, I feel like if you were an employee telling your boss how to run the business, then something would be really wrong, but in some cultures, that is just a way that you might be, you know, like helpful, you know, that would reach the point and that she considered me someone that she could speak freely with, mm. um, and that she was trying to make the best for the business. So, that, I mean, that kind of helped. Um, I mean, we, you know, we use halal food and we don't uh, use pork alcohol in the kitchen or anything like that. Um, but that's, that's really some some quite minus parts of the culture, isn't it? Um, the, the more difficult cultural differences are around, usually around communication and I guess um, hierarchies, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the great thing about our cooks is that they are here and they want to learn a New Zealand way as well. You know, mm. they obviously they have a lot that they're bringing with them in terms of how they've been brought up, but they really want to. They're quite flexible because they want they know that they're Kiwis now and that they want to be a part of it. Yeah. Time. Yeah. So I, I found that really helpful. Awesome. And how have you seen your staff change from being involved with, with Pomegranate? Like what, uh, what sort of things have come out of it for them? Different for different people. Um, so our head chef, you know, she's always been very competent. She's a mother of four, you know, she knows what's going on. Um, I've loved the change in seeing her... Um, I guess because, as I said at the start, everyone was just kind of working really hard and it was quite messy. And now I see her kind of like running the kitchen. It's all very precise and she has really great ideas about how we can be, make small efficiencies um, in terms of what's in the freezer and so forth. So really that feeling of her becoming part of the business rather than an employee who's just being told that she needs to make this amount of rice or whatever. Um, so really getting... Because we, I mean, we employed her to be, so I guess she's so effectively part of the management team and it's been awesome um, seeing her get to that point, but also us and the business having the space for her to um, have, have that. 
Um, for others, you know, we have another cook who doesn't have any family here, so it's been really great seeing her kind of um, open up and become, you know, head lift up a bit higher and so forth because she gets to have a bit more kind of social contact every day. Um, yeah, but just strange things of, you know, little little English words and so forth. I mean, we, a couple of stories. One of them was that, oh, we were talking about garlic, garlic cloves, and I was saying cloves, and I was, they were confused, and I was like, oh, cheese. Because in Arabic, the garlic cloves are called cheese. Like okay, garlic, I see, I see which that. Which totally makes yeah, sense, yeah. right? Yeah, they look like cheese. Um, but, you know, just fairly recently, I realised that in our recipe books, we have recipes for all the things that we make, that we've, you know, workshopped and decided on together. But I realised that they, when we write one over two or one over four for a half or a quarter, that was something that they just weren't understanding. Um, and it's, you know, they'd be going on for four or yeah. five months. Yeah. But it was sort of, they just muddling through and it was like this green cup or pink cup um, in terms of measuring cups. But, yeah. uh, but I guess, yeah, I mean, that's, that's quite a niche kind of thing. It's uh, maybe if your literacy is not high, then even the concept of fractions is mm. not there. And even if it is, to write it like that. So I really had to go back to the beginning for me and go, okay, so four of those goes into one, and that's why we write one over four. <laughs> we drew pictures and so forth. So, yeah. Um, so even little things like that, I really think, are upskilling them to be in this new new world for them. Yeah. Yeah. Just learning Kiwiisms. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so things are rolling for you now. And, and and getting going, what do you what do you hope will happen over the coming uh, coming year? Sure. Well, we at the moment we share a kitchen, um, which was great to start up, but we're becoming too big for it now. So we're getting really you know great big orders and lots of interest. And so, uh, what I would love to see is um, us move into a kitchen of our own, um, so a commercial kitchen. Uh, we would like to become more of a training provider, so operate as a catering company, but be able to um, and have our permanent staff, but also be able to bring some a number of former refugees through training and be able to work with us and have some on-the-job experience, and then be able to, you know, at least use us as a reference and have some, um, yeah, have some confidence to go out into the job market. Uh, so, yeah, the kitchen training provider, um, something we've talked about a lot is um, products, on-the-shelf products. We'd mm. love to have things like sauces and spice for us. I actually just did a, um, I'm friends with the guys from Harpoon Cold Brew Coffee. Okay. And they came yeah. into the kitchen and we made a coffee and cardamom cold brew together. Ooh. So I'm trying to get them to, um, yeah, to partner with us on one of their cold yeah. brews or something like that. But just anything like that, you know, like the cross-promotional stuff yeah. with other I, I love, you know, when different brands get together and make something fantastic. And yeah. I love to be a part cool. of that with someone. So. Was that delicious, the, the cold brew coffee and cardamom? Oh my gosh, it was with oranges. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, I just made one after that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be real tasty, actually. Um, I'm just thinking about that now. I've lost my, <laughs> I've lost my train of questioning. Um, so, looking to looking to grow, looking to become more of a sort of a training organization as well and mm. uh, not necessarily just have people coming in to the kitchen but being able to go out and be employed elsewhere as well um, and as well as kind of just 
partnering with mostly local companies that wellington based companies that you're looking at at the moment or uh, nationwide or or where are you where are you thinking we are we're pretty local at the moment yeah. i mean there has been some talk of and i know you're asking about the partnerships but there has been some talk of you know what it would look like if we expanded as well as the centers mm. and franchise and so forth um, which we're open to And um, food. And food, exactly. So it really, we've been blown away by the amount of support and goodwill from everyone around, you know, just loving the idea and being willing to kind of um, stick with us through little hiccups with the delivery and so forth. They just, um, yeah, now, now we're pretty well functioning thanks to everyone out there in Wellington who's bought all our food. Yeah. Cool, cool. Um, Talking a little bit about about startups, did you find it quite easy to get support for yourself when you had this idea and when you when you decided to run with it? Um, yes, yeah. So we we got a uh, Wellington City Council gave us a small grant and the uh, Wellington Community Trust, which is Pokies. We also ran a um, crowdfunding campaign through Pledge Me which was really successful. We, we put 15,000 and we um, ended up getting 18,300, which was wonderful. Um, and the crowdfunding's really great because then you're kind of, you're both seeing that your market is out there and also mm. building your market. Mm. So um, that was really great. Um, but, you know, some people aren't as supportive. I mean... Certainly the social enterprise thing is funny for some funders. So some one of the pieces of feedback we had when we made a we didn't make a funding round to these people just went for a coffee, they said, Well we don't fund social enterprises ever because we don't feel um, that we can assess business plans. That's not on our skill set, so we're just not gonna fund social enterprises. Which just seems insane to me because mm. that's the way that not the profits are going. You know, yeah, yeah. Not all of them. I don't think that everything can go, you know, can be left to market, but certainly um, it's a really interesting area and not one to dig your heels in about. Um, and, you know, there's some other people who have come to us only after we've proven ourselves, but I don't, you know, I don't feel salty about that. I mean... Mm. There's enough support there for you at the, at the start. And, yeah, and I, th- I do think that sometimes you do just have to prove yourself. Yeah. As long as there's some people that really yeah. Yeah, and as well as kind of that, that financial support, you felt that you had enough kind of guidance support as well with it? Yeah, well, my um, my business partner is has experience in organisational development and she started her own um, consulting company before. So, I mean, she really is such a support to me. Uh, we're, uh, and we've been, our vision has been the same right from the beginning. So... It's wonderful being in meetings with her because we have the same thoughts at the same time. Often, mm. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, and I mean, yeah, it, I think that most people said to me that it was a good idea. I don't know what they were saying when I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, it's hard to know though because you know you have this great idea, everyone loves you and wants you to succeed, but that doesn't mean that it is actually a good idea. It doesn't mean it's going to work out there in the yeah. marketplace. So, yeah. That's why the pleasure was really great yeah. because everyone got behind it and was like, oh, you know, that, that moment where it's like, yeah, this is 
is something that people want. This is a good idea. This isn't just us sitting around in our living room talking about it. Yeah, yeah. For hours, you know, like it is an actual thing that people would, would respond to. Yeah. I think it gives it gives you that extra validation, but also I think you you make an interesting point there as well. And going back to your earlier point about how Kiwis aren't overly confrontational, <gasps> that I mean, if someone didn't like it, um, they'd probably just say, "Oh yeah, nah, oh I think that's a good idea." <laughs> <laughs> and but, you'd know from the first bit. Like, <laughs> you're like, but you can mm. see cross culturally, it's very difficult for people to kind of. Um, to get their heads around, yeah, I always, with the cooks, I have stopped myself saying, um, you know, if they say, do you want a coffee? And I say, I'm like, thanks, I'm good. You know? Yeah. Oh, oh, thanks, I'm good. And it's like, both of those things are positives, but I yeah. mean, no. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's very unclear. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I can see how you'd end up with coffees after that. <laughs> And then probably just be too polite to turn them down, so you end up with just a really shaky hand by the end of the day after having six coffees. Um, brilliant. Rebecca, I want to have a bit more of a chat about uh, about being uncomfortable, actually. So I'm going to ask you those questions, and I have sent them through to you, and I know that you've had a little bit of a think about them already. So the first one is, can you tell me about a time that you've failed and what you've learned from it? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I don't really feel like anything has passed fail or it hasn't been since university mm. anyway. I mean, maybe it's just my overinflated self-confidence, but I just, <laughs> I just sort of, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I wish that I'd done better. And, you know, I say, like, am I just like anyone else thinking about what I could have done better and, and, you know, in the day or in last year or, in, you know, sometimes it goes way back. Um, I wish that I'd saved more money when I would in the surveillance. I wish that I don't know, I really relationships and I wonder if I did things wrong and I, with the cooks, you know, like we had this media interview right at the beginning and they, before we even really knew that we needed to have a media policy and they asked some quite confrontational questions and the cooks ended up, you know, really getting into it and it was almost like a therapy session and that was what drove us to have quite specific media you know, a media policy around what people can and can't ask, and it was driven by the cooks and their boundaries. But I still think about that, you know, and think mm. how I've, I failed them and that I didn't protect them, and they would have felt like they had to participate in this thing because they were an employee of mine. Um, so I worry, of course I worry about all that stuff, but I, never, I don't really see that as failing. Um, no, but it sounds like you've learnt things from each of those mm. experiences along the way, whether you want to view them as, as pass or fail. Mm. Um, they've been, yeah, been, been learning experiences anyway. That, and I mean, talking about not knowing what you didn't know, sounds like it applied to all of those situations. And then you've had that experience and then gone on and thought, well, actually, I'll do it, do it differently next mm. time. It's that, and I mean, that's the beauty of, startups is that it's the kind of inherent in it that you're it's like a product testing thing you know that you're trying something if it doesn't work you can move really quickly to change it mm. um and actually i was on a panel a couple of days ago speaking to not-for-profits about moving into social enterprise um and 
there is a real perception that, you know, that not-for-profits have to learn a whole way, different way of doing things because it's business. Um, and I think that there's some truth to that, but also, I mean, my experience with the not-for-profits has meant that I can do a lot of things on the cheap, and often you have to do everything yourself because there's no one else to do them. So, in fact, they're perfect for startups and perfect for social enterprise. Um, those experiences. So yeah, I mean, I've really enjoyed kind of having to pivot a lot, you know, and, mm-hmm. and change the way that we do things after, you know, one or two conversations, just saying, yeah, this isn't working, we'll just try this other new thing. Um, it's a little bit more difficult when you're talking about, you know, people's comfort, you know, your staff's comfort levels or their experiences of trauma, you know, so I would prefer that I didn't have to pivot on that or, mm-hmm. or have learned from that. Um, but a lot of the things that we're, you know, that we're changing up are just small things around what happens in the kitchen and, and our deliveries and so forth, and that's really fun. Yeah. Cool. Um, I didn't interrupt a, a big failure story there at all, one that you'd prepared. No, no, I'm that's sorry. cool. That's cool. No, no, I think we're. No, 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 no. That, that's all right. I just didn't didn't want to interrupt. I, just I think. Fail. Yeah. Sorry, I oh. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> so like everybody listening out there, yeah. that's the advice: don't fail. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rebecca, next question for you: What was the last uncomfortable thing that you did, and how did you get through it? Well, I mean, I think we've talked a lot about starting up your own business, which is mm. inherently just so uncomfortable and so exhilarating. Um, so a kind of a byproduct of starting this is I've had to do a lot of public speaking, um, and that is just really terrifying for me. And I don't... It's kind of strange when I tell people that they always seem surprised because in small group situations, I can be, you know, like very confident and I, have, I never kind of feel strange around people or I don't really feel uncomfortable. And we come with a number of different types of people. But as soon as I get up there and everyone's looking at me, it's like, I don't know, I feel like my temperature rises and my hands get really hot. And I end up speaking too fast and speaking to, like, one person in the room, you know, which must be very uncomfortable for me. <laughs> you just kind of fix on someone you're talking to, yeah. but that's, like, quite weird. Um what, how do you decide which person to fixate on? I don't know, I don't, I'm not thinking when I'm up there, that's the thing. Yeah, I'm yeah. Anyone. You think, oh, that's, that's someone like quite good looking? Like someone that's smiling. Yeah. I think good looking would make it even more yeah. uncomfortable. Um, I guess if it's someone that's making eye contact being smiling at you and maybe comes kind of nodding, so audience members never do that if you see me speak. Yeah. So I'll just keep looking at you for an yeah. hour. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's awful. I really hate it and I feel really sick. Do it and I can't concentrate on anything. It just sucks if you're on a panel where there's all these other really interesting people that you won't listen to that I can't concentrate on that thing. Have you got any kind of habits or any tricks that you've been working on to help you out with that so far? All I've got really is just practicing and also having a few. I guess a few, not even jokes sometimes, or just like personal stories to make me feel like I'm actually in a conversation. Um, that has seemed to help me quite a bit. So, you know, if I can slip in something that seems quite, I don't know how to describe it, but it's sort of an offhand comment or something that's mm-hmm. like a story mm-hmm. from the kitchen, 
Yeah, it kind of makes me feel like I'm in a less formal environment. And yeah. That, and that kind of makes the audience relax as well, because I think it's the formality of it that really makes me tense up. Yeah, but I think just practicing it so that when I get up there and everything leaves my head, it's still like a robot. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And actually, um, Potentially applying for the TED Talks Wellington. Oh, nice, yeah, nice. Real, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Confronting your fear thing, but um, cool. You've you know, been really good for the business, and also they give you all this training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Valuable. You've yeah. been talking to DK already about it. No, so my friend sent it to me, and I didn't apply at first because uh, I also applied for this other leadership seminar in Hawaii that I've got interviewed. Yeah, around the same time. Uh, but if I don't get that, then I thought. So I don't know, he might not even want me, but it's even really applying about that. Cool. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's awesome. Um, a couple of the other podcast guests actually have done oh, really? have done TEDx Wellington talks. Um Nick and Marie from Good Bitches Baking. Um oh, yeah. and Elizabeth Connor as well. Um so yeah, that that'd be interesting people for you to have a chat to about it. Do you know, I feel like I really want to meet the one from Good Bitches Baking because they are hilarious. I, I yeah. heard that and also they were kind of the precursor. Kitchen. Yeah. I've never really reached out to them and told them that, but uh, and my co-founder and my mum, my partner, went along to see them speak, and I th- you know, months before yeah. we started, but I think that really tipped something off in their brains, set something off around that you can, if you believe in it enough, you can. <laughs> yeah. And we actually did some deliveries, I did some baking for them, you know, when they first started. Yeah, off. yeah. Um, so yeah, I feel like in a really indirect way, they were kind of they yeah. were a bit of a catalyst for you, a bit of a yeah, yeah a, a bit of motivation. No, that that's cool, and they're they're going really well, and it's snowballing out of control yes. with that. But um, yeah, the, the the podcast episode, I can't remember what number it is, but oh, for the nice. listeners, go back and have a listen as well. There is a reasonable amount of swearing in it as well <laughs> if you if there are kids around. So yeah, right. just just be warned on that one. Um, cool. I was going to get to the third question, and you've almost kind of answered that there as well. So it's what is the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do, and why is that uncomfortable for you? Yeah, I think there's that. I mean, there's the TED Talks. You know, that's going to be extremely awful. (laughs) Yeah. But also probably wonderful. I guess, for me, I've moved around a lot and always wanted to have the chance or the ability to, you know, leave and go and do another adventurous thing. So mm. it was almost quite a um, strange and uncomfortable thing to start something that really ties me to New Zealand for the next, you know, two or three years at least. Um, so I'm not really used to that. But in fact, you know, at the time it felt a little bit strange and now I really like it. I think I'm just comfortable with where it's like. I really want to you know, start being settled somewhere and the thought of adventure isn't as exciting as a thought of, I guess, like, being able to really make something happen creatively here. Um, so I guess in some ways the next uncomfortable thing is staying here, but yeah. I've always made my peace with that. Cool. Mm. How have you gone about making your peace with that? Yeah. I mean, I've done a, I've done a lot. Is the other thing, and also probably the breast cancer really um, made me see that life is 
it's not all just fun and games. Oh, that's not really it though either. I guess it made me really appreciate what I had, appreciate mm-hmm. the family um, here, and it made me want to do something. I don't know. I just, I just changed. I just didn't want to be running around the world anymore. Yeah. I don't know if you can really put that in there because it's not a very kind of strong statement. That's all right. I don't think it needs to be. Mm. Um, yeah. It's funny because cool. we started off the podcast and being like, no, it's nothing to do with each other, but it was a Yeah, but I just didn't, I don't have this like crazy desire to keep experiencing new things. The desire now is to build something here. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a completely different experience of new things for you. Yes, it's, exactly. it's new challenges, but in a, in a kind of a, almost a different genre. That's it. Yeah. I mean, geographically, I'm in one place, but mm. I'm learning just so many new things. Um, it's, it's insane. And another thing that makes me uncomfortable is, like, you know, that academic uncomfortable, because there's a social uncomfortableness, and then there's mm. that kind of, like, brain-twisty stuff around doing accounts and stuff. Or <laughs> like, oh, you can feel those neural pathways being pushed down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. haven't outsourced that one yet. <laughs> Actually, do you know what? I'm, um, my mum is our accountant, so. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> but I still have to do a lot of, you know, stuff like that. So. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, Rebecca, I've got a couple more questions for you, but um, beforehand, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to sit down and have a, have a chat with me as well, kind of. Just in the in the sun porch down in, in Thorndon in a in a gorgeous day. I'm just about to break into a sweat actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not moving. <laughs> yeah. Um, but as well as that, I want to say thank you as well for uh, your openness and honesty today, but also for getting out there and just going for it and being an example of that. Um, as well as doing uh, a whole lot of a whole lot of good at the same time. So yeah, thank you for that. Thank you. That's really genuine. Cool. First question for you is easy. If people want to support you or find out more about you or follow along with the journey, where should they go? So where um, our website is pomegranate.org.nz. We're on Facebook, uh, Facebook forward slash pomegranate. And then we're on Twitter as well. Actually, I don't run that. My business partner runs that. It's uh, it's pomegranate underscore nz. Cool. Yeah. Um, so we don't have a shop front at the moment in Wellington, um, so we're just operating out someone else's kitchen. But uh, watch the space because that might be coming out. Awesome. Now, before we wrap things up, do you have any advice or life lessons or interesting facts to leave us with today? (laughs) Advice or life lessons or interesting facts? Or one of all three. <laughs> Just get breast cancer and then you'll come up with a really good idea. <laughs> <laughs> that could be the episode title. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome to that, yeah. Um, oh, look, no, I don't really, I just don't really feel like 
otherwise I feel really like we did just do it but I don't know that every idea is a good idea and I probably have had other ideas that weren't as good as this one so I wouldn't say just do it just do it if it's the right idea but how do you know that um yeah. No, I think that's I think that's quite a I think that's quite an interesting uh, interesting note to finish on, and it's an interesting question for people to to go away and ponder. Yeah, well, we were talking to these young entrepreneurs on this other panel, and they were techie kind of entrepreneurs, and we talked to them a lot about the stuff I'm talking to you today about, about you know what it's like to start up. But what they really wanted to know was how did you know it was the right idea? And they kept asking that in different ways, but they kept coming back to that, and it's kind of like. Like, if I knew that, I'd be making my millions going and telling people how to find the right idea. Like, no one knows, you know? You mm. just, like, you have the passion for it and you just start. Yeah. People want, want it. I mean, yeah, yeah. If there was a magic way to know that it was the right idea, then everyone would be doing it. <laughs> cool. I think that's a, I think that's a great note to, to finish on. Thank you for getting uncomfortable with me today. <laughs> Thank you.